today on Ag News Daily. It's, you're going to tweak all my geek buttons here because uh, to make a good maze, uh, there's a lot of parameters that make it a better maze. In the process, most of the years we've done this, I will actually plant my corn both north-south and east-west, and then I've created a grid. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Selene Howell joined today by Ashton Carr and Ashton. I had a little bit of a rough morning this morning. You did. You had a little bit of a rough morning that you told me about earlier today, but I'm going to let you tell your truth here. Well, I got into a little bit of a fender bender this morning. Everything's okay. Everyone's okay. My car is fine. The other lady's car seems okay. My license plate's crunched a little bit. Got a little whiplash, but otherwise we're okay. Well, I'm really glad that you're all right, Delaney. I don't know what I would do without you if you, you know, were in the hospital or anything. So I'm glad that you're all right and we're getting you taken care of. But other than that, it's been a little bit of a wild morning for me too. Definitely nothing like getting in a fender bender, but I have just been all over the place this week. I can't seem to get on track. And I was talking to our interviewee earlier this morning, realized that I had a doctor's appointment about seven minutes before I actually had to be there. So I've just been all over the place. I had to run out. I was still wearing my glasses. I hadn't brushed my hair or my teeth. So nice. I know I have just been a mess this week. I like that. Hopefully you didn't breathe on anyone, Ashton. Oh, no, I, I did not breathe on anyone. I um, just ran out of the house and I sat away from my doctor, obviously. So didn't get too up close and personal. So he didn't smell my stinky morning breath. So at least that's, you know, one good takeaway. Okay, good. Not breathing on him up. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, we both had a little bit of a rough morning and so have the markets, Ashton. We saw the quarterly grain stocks report come out today. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just kick things off and start there. Let's have at it. Fantastic. Well, we saw some adjustments on today's report for both acreage and production numbers, as well as on and off farm storage numbers here for 2020. This report was pretty bearish for soybeans, uh, mildly bearish for corn, and actually bullish for the wheat market. Soybeans closed down and reacted pretty poorly right after the report opened, did finish lower on the day. Um, and here's why ending stocks for soybeans came in at 256 million bushels, which was well above trade estimates. The USDA also increased crop yield for the 2020 soybean crop about 0.8 bushels per acre. So they raised it to now 51 bushels per acre for the 2020 season. And they said basically that they underestimated last year's crop and they made that adjustment on today's report. On the corn side of things, we didn't see a whole lot of change there. We did see them uh, change harvested acres actually downward for 2020. We also saw a little bit higher uh, quarterly stocks compared to what the trade was expecting. And on the wheat side of things, USDA came in, came in lower than what the trade was expecting. So that proved somewhat bullish for the markets for today. Uh, so overall, we're sending ourselves up here to be in still tight supplies heading into 2021 as we're pulling the crop out of the ground. Uh, but overall, that was kind of the takeaway from today's report. 
Well, Delaney, I'm glad you are staying on top of the reports. You're our in-house report reporter, I suppose. But I'm going to move things over here and talk about a House hearing yesterday. It was said by Forest Service Chief Randy Moore that the government needs to quicken the pace of its fuel reduction work in public forests at the same time that it's marshals enough crews to fight wildfires. This year, some 63 million acres or about a third of national forest land is rated at high or very high hazard for wildfires that could be difficult to contain. And Moore said that this is in part as a result of 110 years of overly aggressive fire suppression policies, as well as climate change, and hundreds of communities are at high risk. So far this year, nearly 46,000 wildfires have burned 5.9 million acres and more than 4,500 homes, commercial properties, and outbuildings. More added that we must ensure a stable, resilient firefighting force. And he said that the pay scale is often too low for our firefighters who are out there doing fighting forest fires, wildfires. And earlier this year, the Biden administration announced a 10% pay bonus for many of its full-time firefighters, as well as steps to make sure that permanent and temporary firefighters earn at least $15 an hour. So, you know, we did our mini series on ag labor, but, you know, it's not just ag labor that's hurting. It's looking like our firefighters are hurting, you know, those who are fighting wildfires and forest fires. So it looks like things really need to happen in order to make sure that our firefighters are taken care of and our forests around the nation, Delaney. Yeah, and they definitely should get paid uh, at least $15 an hour because they work hard. And that is one tough job to deal with all of that stuff. It certainly is. I can't even imagine the grueling work, you know, being out there fighting those fires. So I feel like at least 15 is a pre pretty reasonable number. Well, at least if nothing else, they should be uh, should be rewarded for doing that work. Because, yeah, that is definitely tough stuff. And that's a big chunk of acres that have definitely seen some dry areas, some wildfires this year. Um, you know, actually, speaking of wildfires and weather, we actually got a pretty good storm today across central Iowa. But uh, unfortunately, the farm did not get it. And I know a lot of farmers east of Des Moines did not get that much needed rain. So we're still continuing to deal with some pretty dry harvest conditions and Ashton, while we're kind of talking harvest and crop, we did see for today's U.S. export sales report, USDA released net export sales of soybeans actually rose this week compared to last, while wheat exports fell and as well as corn exports. So overall, we're seeing some mixed demand there. And uh, that certainly did, didn't do anything to compete with today's quarterly grain stocks report, but just thought I would mention that as well. We are still seeing some demand. Typically, this is, you know, the time of year when we do start to see things pick up for this time of year. We've got more crop. Prices seem to deflate. Uh, the window is small, however, right? Because typically by, by uh, December, January, February, then we're seeing South American crop back on the pipeline. So hopefully we're able to take advantage of some increased demand this harvest season. Well, I have some exciting African swine fever news, Delaney, and I don't think that African swine fever and exciting should really be used in the same sentence. <laughs> 
That's a good point. <laughs> this is talking about vaccines, so therefore it is very exciting. The USDA's Agriculture Research Service says that one of its African swine fever vaccine candidates prevents and effectively protects both European and Asian bred swine against the current Asian strain of the virus. These scientists say that the vaccine candidate has the ability to be commercially produced while maintaining its efficiency. Their findings show that a commercial partner can replicate the experimental results and prevent the spread of the virus. Of course, this is a major step for science and a major step for the ag industry as we continue to work to see the vaccine commercialized through the U.S. government and its commercial partner, the Nevecto National Veterinary Joint Stock Company. So this is certainly some good news, a long time in the making, and I'm excited for where we're going scientifically with this vaccine. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this one shakes out, Ashton, because there is a lot of dollars, a lot of time being spent towards this, towards creating a vaccine that works, of course, as we continue to see it creep a little closer to the U.S. borders. I was just reading something earlier today that said, um, I think four different Dominican Republic folks who are heading into the U.S. had been uh, comp- not confiscated, been pulled to the side at, at the uh, at the at customs um, and were being detained to check for any traces of African swine fever and concerns there. I haven't heard any updates on that story, but it certainly is getting a little more realistic as we do see those stories pop up more frequently now. And I didn't think about this until I just finished talking about the vaccine, but if, you know, it were to be commercially produced and be made to producers, I wonder how many producers would actually use this vaccine or, you know, I, I, would, I would just like to hear what their thoughts are about actually vaccinating their herd with an African swine fever vaccine. So I'm a little intrigued. So folks, if you have any thoughts or ideas about this, definitely share those with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. That sounds like a good plan there, Ashton, but I don't really have a whole lot of other news here. Um, you know, continuing to watch kind of what's going on with the natural gas crisis, energy crisis. I've seen quite a bit more news stories popping up over the past couple of days about this as power prices are continuing to jump. And today is the first kind of date that we start to see this really come into play as it's the first day of the heating season or the uh, season when homes need to start being heated typically around this time of year, you know, we've seen warmer than normal temperatures, but it is becoming very serious so much so that I believe, I don't remember if it was all of the, all of the EU or just the UK specifically was working to limit the uh, amount of gasoline that was flowing out at the pumps and also having to bring in um, national military forces to ensure that people in emergency situations were able to get where they needed to get just because gasoline there is becoming more and more uh, difficult to find. So it's certainly kind of an escalating issue as the days go on. Well, I also have just one more bit of news kind of coming from that area as well. And it's one that uh, is a little bit similar to what we've seen here in the U.S. throughout the COVID pandemic. And it's just talking about Britain's farming industry being warned that hundreds of thousands of pigs may have to be culled within weeks unless the government issues visas to allow more butchers into the country. An acute shortage of butchers and slaughterers in the meat processing industry over in the UK have been 
decreased because of the COVID-19 pandemic and Britain's post-Brexit immigration policy, which has restricted the flow of Eastern European workers. The government on Sunday announced a plan to issue temporary visas for 5,000 foreign truck drivers and 5,500 poultry workers to alleviate shortages, but has given no indication that it will introduce schemes for other areas. And it argued that businesses should invest in their workforce and improve pay conditions. And it was said from the National Pig Association that the shortage of butchers meant that processes were operating at a 25% reduced capacity. So kind of a similar situation, you know, just that we saw in the COVID-19 pandemic when it came to capacity, um, slaughterhouses and those kinds of things. So I'm going to continue to look out on this to see if the government does help the pork industry since they've helped trucking and poultry. But I'm not so sure we're going to see much of anything, especially due to this new immigration policy. I haven't looked into that, obviously, but I thought it was um, pretty concerning, especially for our producers over there. Yeah, absolutely, Ashton. Uh, Certainly something to keep an eye on there. Daunting statistic, again, that you shared. So definitely something to keep an eye on, but also to keep an eye on today was the markets. And as I mentioned, we saw kind of a mm, slightly bearish report for corn, definitely bearish report for soybeans and a bullish report for wheat. And that certainly played out in today's market prices. But Ash and I need to run. So I'm going to let you take care of the markets for today. Alrighty. Sounds fantastic, Delaney. Going to go ahead and hop into the markets here then and start things off with the corn contract. The December down two and a quarter cents close at 5.36 and three quarters. The March down two and a half cents close at 5.44 and a half. In soybeans, front month contract down 27 and three quarter cents to close at 12.56. And the January down 28 cents to close at 12.65 and a half. In spring wheat, the December up nine cents to close at 9.12 and a half. The March up nine and three quarter cents to close at 900. Mixed trade here in livestock. The live cattle October contract down a dollar 20 to close at 120.57 and a half. The December down dollar 32 and a half to close at 125.72 and a half. Feeder cattle, the September contract down 35 cents to close at 153.92 and a half. The October down $2.75 cents to close at 152.55. In lean hogs, the October contract up 80 cents, close at 91.60. The December up $1.80 to close at 85.40. Rounding things out with our class three dairy milk futures, the October up 25 cents, close at 18.12. The November up 34 cents, close at 18.22. And the December up 28 cents, close at 17.84. With that, I'm going to kick things over to my conversation with John Ackerman of Ackerman Family Farms. Well, for today's conversation, it's another fall-themed episode we're having as we are jumping into fall. It's almost October, so I'm glad that we're having this conversation here because, of course, it's jack-o'-lantern season, and we are talking with a pumpkin farmer and owner of Ackerman Family Farms, John Ackerman. John, thank you so much for tuning in and chatting with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Ashton. I really appreciate it. So, John, before we really get started talking about Ackerman Family Farms, let's talk a little bit about the family. You operate Ackerman Family Farms with your wife, I believe you were saying, right before we started recording here. Yeah, my wife Eve and I uh, have opened our farm to the public for the last 22 years. 
22 years. I bet that's really been an adventure. <laughs> it has. And to be honest, you know, I, I grew up as a farmer. Uh, I did go to college to uh, try to learn the things I needed to learn. Uh, but I worked by myself. And it's, uh, it's a real steep learning curve to le- uh, have, you know, retail customers on your farm. But it's been wonderful. And our our customers have been the best. Our demographics are nature lovers and animal lovers and foodies and grandparents. And we just have great people that come out here. And you guys have been doing this for 22 years and it's certainly grown. I believe Ackerman Family Farms is one of the biggest in Illinois, if I'm not wrong. Well, I don't think we're one of the biggest. Uh, We're probably a medium-sized agritourism uh, operation. Uh, So we've been at it a while, but uh, yeah, we... We don't compete with some of the huge ones. Uh, they have their own style, which is a great choice, too, for people. But ours is very much a working family farm. Well, John, let's go ahead and talk about what it is that you guys offer at Ackerman Family Farms. Of course, we have some pumpkins. So why don't we talk about the you know pumpkin growing process and what it is that you guys do? Well, sure. Uh, actually, out here we raise uh, over 160 different varieties of pumpkins, gourds, and squash. And so, I guess when you're talking about pumpkins here in Illinois, you kind of need to separate them into two categories. There's the canning or processing pumpkins, and then there's the ornamental and decorative pumpkins. I did not even know that there was that much of a variety when it came to pumpkins. But I guess when we're talking about gourds and squash, it's a little bit larger than just, you know, the jack-o'-lantern and then, you know, the pumpkins that we eat. So I'm glad to know that there is such a big variety because I I do love pumpkins. I'm definitely that basic girl that loves everything pumpkin spice when it comes fall season. But let's talk a little bit more here about the corn maze because you guys have a new corn maze every single year. What does the process look like? from growing that corn and actually making it into a maize? Because I don't know the process. Do you guys actually plant the whole field and then just go back in and kind of carve out your design? What's that process like? Well, you're going to tweak all my geek buttons here because uh, to make a good maize, uh, there's a lot of parameters that make it a better maize. In the process, most of the years we've done this, I will actually plant my corn both north-south and east-west, and then I've created a grid. Then we'll take a, we'll come up with a design and a theme. We'll transfer that design onto a huge grid paper. And honestly, very old school, I'll walk out and stomp out the corn, and then I'll mow behind where I've stomped. Now, there were three years uh, that I was able to have a friend come with a GPS and a fancy planter, and he also planted north-south and east-west. But we had digitalized our picture so his planter didn't drop seed where the paths were going to be. Those were three wonderful years and I hope to get back to that someday. And, you know, John, I've always wanted to know what you do with the corn after the fall season. We actually harvest it. Uh, Now, of course, our yields will be much lower. There's a lot of paths in there that take up a pretty good percentage of the maize. But uh, it's surprising. uh, I'll go ahead and harvest. Sometimes I harvest on a diagonal because there's, you know, there's east, west and north, south rows. So uh, uh, it's an interesting harvesting, but uh, yeah, we'll actually get some grain out of it at the end of the year. 
Well, that's awesome to hear. You know, I've never put too much thought into what happens, you know, after the fall season with that corn, but I'm glad we're learning a little bit more here, John. What else is going on at Ackerman Family Farms this season? This is, I don't know if you guys were open, you know, last year just due to the pandemic. So things might be a little bit different than you normally do them. So what's going on in your neck of the woods this time? Well, I have to be honest, we were open last year in Illinois. We slipped between the mitigation that ended in the late summer and started again in November. So during our season is mostly September and October. We were in the, the period of time where people were able to go out and about. There were a lot of restrictions, but I have to be honest, uh, our business was one of those that I believe did better uh, because of the pandemic. People just wanted to get out of their house and come enjoy a farm experience. Uh, this year, we've also still opened. There are uh, some mitigations in Illinois, but uh, people have been really good about, uh, you know, social distancing, that sort of thing. Uh, but this year we have uh, animals. We've got baby goats. We have a baby alpaca for the first time. Our horse was a wild Mustang at one time. She's part of the wild horse adoption program, which is a great program. We've got different poultry, including peacocks and pheasants and turkeys and chickens. Uh, so we open that up to people to enjoy. We have hay, weekend hay rack rides. We have pick your own pumpkin patch. And we've got a gift shop here on the farm. Well, John, I'm really glad that these agritourism spots are able to thrive and stay open. I'm really glad that, you know, the world is opening back up once again and that you guys weren't hit too hard. That's really great to hear. If our listeners want to learn a little bit more about Ackerman Family Farms, or if our listeners out in Illinois want to go and visit you on the farm, where can they find you guys at? Well, physically, we're east of Morton, just a half mile east of Morton on Highway 150. If you want to catch us on the internet, uh, we, our website is AckermanFamilyFarmsLLC.com. And uh, I believe we have a Facebook as well. Uh, you can tell I'm old school farmer, uh, not so good on the computer, but I know we do have Facebook. <laughs> Well, John, we will be sure to link to your website in our description. So if our listeners want to learn a little bit more, get in touch with you, they can do that there. And folks, we will be tagging them on Facebook. So you can go over there at Ag News Daily to see a little bit more. But John, I just want to thank you for coming on today. And congratulations on your 22 years and good luck to you this fall season. We appreciate it very much. Uh, at our farm, we're open Monday through Saturday, 9 to 6, and we're open Sundays, noon to 5. We let our last people in the corn maze an hour before we close. We'd be glad to have people come visit us. Thanks again there to you, John, for coming on and chatting with us today. I always like talking about fall things. I don't have to explain to you guys how much I love fall, so I won't get on my soapbox about it today. But what I will do is lead you guys on over to our social media pages to make sure that you guys are following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, I'm going to let the people go.